Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number. He calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. This is Good Heavens, a podcast about the cosmos and the glory of God with Wayne and Dan. Well, good heavens, Wayne. We are going to be talking about some out-of-this-world worlds. Long ago, we did a podcast on, uh, we called them Wayne's <laughs> Wayne's Worlds. and uh, Yes. <laughs> that was uh, back in the day when we first started. And uh, I think... Yeah, we, we started the program trying to act like the Wayne's World movie a yeah, little bit. I, but it, <laughs> it just, uh, I don't think it would work to do that again. It didn't it was, uh, come together it, very well. We, that was back. That was our like our seventh episode. Yeah, we had uh, and we recorded it on our birthdays. Our birthdays are close together, and uh, so we. <laughs> I were, didn't remember that part. Yeah, we were sitting in our friend's house and the uh, cracking up in the background because we couldn't get the show started because we were trying to be like uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Anyway, that's uh, <laughs> good times, old good heavens. If you haven't heard that, Wayne, is that still is that up on? Do you have that one up on Podbean, or is that in our archives? Yes, but it was put up on Podbean later, so it was it was from uh, December of 2018, I think, when I and put it up. On- did we actually end up calling that Wayne's World? <laughs> yes, we did. Okay, I couldn't. Re- I know we joked about it. I couldn't remember if we titled it. That. Yeah, we did. Oh dear. Okay, so this is uh, this is. Uh, exoplanets we're going to be talking about exoplanets and um exoplanet what's an exoplanet it's not a it's not a, a planet that plays tic tac xo planet it's not <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a good one yeah it's uh, it's uh, not yeah. kisses and hugs uh xo XO. Right. it's uh exo meaning outside of our solar system so if you're not on our team we just call you an exoplanet that's or, or as I like to say, there are planets that are really out there. Way out there. Now, right. so bizarre. And as I was looking on some background for this stuff, I know these planets existed. We're not going to talk about them. Maybe we can do one on another episode. But but in addition to planets that have that are tethered to stars, solar systems, there are rogue planets out there. That means there are planets floating about in the universe with no parent star. And some of them uh, are as massive as Jupiter. But we're not going to be talking about that tonight. So if that is intriguing to you and you'd like us to talk about rogue planets, drop us a line. It was funny. A couple of summers ago, I was hiking with my nieces in uh, Joshua Tree National Park. And uh, we get out of the truck, my brother's truck, and uh, we uh, I pointed to a, a distant mountain ridge, a little hill in the distance. And uh, I said, uh, you see that hill over there by the uh, bent Joshua tree and those rocks just to the right over there? And they both looked at me and said, yeah, Uncle Dan, we see it. I said, we're not going over there. (laughs) 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 Kind of a lame. I don't know. Why am I saying this? Because uh, we're not going to be talking about rogue planets anyway. It's just a silly thing. I apologize for that digression. My mind is in a million different places tonight. We're going to be talking about exoplanets. And uh, we're going to be talking about um, there's like... Five, over 5,000 of them that we know of. And uh, this is in just the last, uh, going back to the Kepler Space Telescope Planet Hunter, uh, which is 2008, 2009. So we're looking at uh, 14 years. 
in the last 14 years. Well, we, that's just the Kepler space. That's just the last. Yeah, the, they go back to the 1990s yes. when they first started uh, finding Right, them. right. It was just in the last, since the Kepler, that uh, our knowledge of exoplanets exploded exponentially, that uh, we've found more and more. And I think, isn't it true, Wayne, that, that there's the Kepler Space Telescope data online that you can look at and go find planets? Um, you can be a citizen astronomer and sift through the data and find yeah, some of them. And uh, so Kepler, um, the Kepler spacecraft was made for d- doing transits, uh, which is where in looking at a star and along our line of sight, the planet will pass in front of the star so that it, it makes a dip in the light uh Dip in the brightness of the light from that star, like a like a bug going in front of a light bulb in your lamp, right? And then and then it goes back up again. The brightness goes back up, so they they can learn a lot from how that dip in the light happens. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the transit is the best method when they can do it, but they can't always do it for all of them. Right? For some of them, they they detect them by detecting how the planet makes the star wobble mm-hmm. this the planet will actually make the star wobble a little bit and it makes its um redshift change yeah and this may seem hard to believe but our our planets and our solar system especially jupiter that uh, actually makes our sun wobble our sun wobbles you can't tell from looking at it mm-hmm. but it does it's like uh the you remember from the 70s wayne you and i Grew up with these things. Weebles. Remember Weebles? They wobble. I don't remember Weebles. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. You don't remember? Yeah. I, I do remember the commercial. Yeah. Somehow I don't remember what they look like. They look like little eggs. So they had, yeah. they were, their pants, they were like people or something, and they had uh, egg-shaped bottoms, and they rolled back and forth, and the bottoms were oh, weighted, okay. and they looked like people, and the whole right. thing. Weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. And uh, so, <laughs> So I guess the, <laughs> I don't know where I am tonight. Sorry with that, um, but uh, yeah, they 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 they, they wobble with the, with the transit method. Uh, the telescope that has to be edge on with the star and its uh, and the planet. Uh, if you're looking top down at a star, if you were top down at a solar system, you wouldn't see these um, these planet transits. You'd have to be looking at the the solar system edge on in some sort of way. So there's a lot of different ways, but it's hard, isn't it, Wayne, to, to capture that this is really a fantastic thing because it's planets, unless there's very few of them that we know of, actually, and they're so faint and they're so small, they're not like a star. So they don't really radiate their own light like a star does. They reflect uh, light that is around them. They reflect starlight just like our planets and our moon does. Our moon doesn't have an internal lighting system. It's reflected by the, it's reflecting sunlight. So it's hard to capture these distant planets um, as, as we do because uh, we need the, the reflection of that parent star sunlight on these planet surfaces. Yeah. So uh, we kind of uh, detect them indirectly. Indirect detection. There are some, there are some cases where we can actually directly see them, but it takes a lot of special uh, effort to do it. So what they have to do is it has to be bright enough, and you use infrared telescopes. And what you do is you you have to uh, 
know uh, a lot about the light of the star so that you can digitally subtract out the light of the star. Mm. And if you subtract out the light of the star, then what's left, there could be planets. going. You yeah. might be, so they may be able to directly see planets going around the star. But there's a lot of uncertainties with that method, and sometimes they... Um, they have false positives mm-hmm. that turn out to not be a real planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a tricky one. And then there's another method that's called gravitational lensing where they can detect planets sometimes. Mm. Um, and those are the only ones that are outside of our galaxy. Yes. Th- that's something that is, it's kind of a rare thing. It does. It's rare to have for us to be in the right angle to be able to see them. Okay. Mm-hmm. But uh, most of the time what they do is is they use the radio velocity method, which is where they're detecting the wobble of the star from the redshift. And then with the uh, Kepler spacecraft, which is out in space, they were able to do really good transit measurements. And there are other telescopes on Earth that do transit measurements. Mm -hmm. Then there's a new one, Dan, a new space telescope that's called... TESS. TESS. TESS stands for Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. So it's kind of the thought of as the successor to Kepler, and it's specially intended for detecting the smaller exoplanets so that they they can find, uh, they want to find exoplanets that are more Earth-like with TESS. Ah. And, um, you know, Dan, we talk about sometimes our satellites put up in space, like the James Webb, and the, we talked about the the Lagrange points and those different places around Earth's orbit. Well, TESS is not in one of those. It's, <laughs> they, they did something totally different with TESS. TESS is on a, where, uh, a fishing pole, right, or something. It's a, a tethered to a line or something. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, not exactly. That would be interesting. But the, uh, if you can imagine an orbit that's kind of elliptical, it's a little bit elongated, and it's maybe about two-thirds of the distance to the moon, but then tilted up about 40 degrees. So they, they put it in this elongated, tilted orbit hmm. to make it up high above the Earth. And uh, see, Kepler had a limitation that it was always, it's because it was sort of uh, tied to Earth's orbit. Yes, kind of. right. It was it was uh, limited in the angle that it could see and the directions it could look. And it had to just kind of keep pointed the same way. And so it was limited what it could see and where it could look, where where they could aim it. And then it also had a problem with the uh, gyroscopes on it that they had to deal with. Hmm. But then, uh, so TESS is on this totally different orbit. And the, the orbit makes it able to, over time, it'll be able to see a much bigger part of the sky. I don't know if, if it could see the whole sky over time, but probably close to it. Hmm. So they can pretty much point tests eventually almost anywhere, but they'd have to wait till the right year or the right time to do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's remarkable. I mean, the the technologies that we've developed. Um, I mean, we're we're a technological society, but uh, 
the the amount of stuff that our our devices have discovered in just the last 10 years right, go back 30 years exponentially our knowledge of the universe has increased manifold many times just because of the sensitivity of the instruments and the kind of uh, designs uh, and uh, plans that are being put together to uh, to capture these things Wayne it's uh, phenomenal um, and we are going to talk about uh, on this episode and our next one we're going to do this in two parts we're going to talk about um, four fantastic uh, phenomenal exoplanets exoplanet systems um, how they were found and, and why they're so cool and uh, it just this is going to be fun. You you picked some good ones. And uh, we're going to uh, hopefully uh, fascinate you with the details of these other worlds that, uh, to me, I was just blown away by the stuff I was reading. It's it's amazing. It is truly amazing what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, before we begin diving into these exo worlds, uh, a couple of scriptures. Um, I have one from Colossians and a couple from Colossians, and then you have one that we often refer to in Colossians, um, starting in verse, uh, chapter one, verse 15, he, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16, for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So keep that in mind as we talk about these worlds that nobody has ever seen until the last few years. And then I know this is slightly out of context, but I still think it is uh, (laughs) somewhat applicable. I don't mean to to wretch it out of context here, but I know that uh, Paul here is talking about uh, spiritual things. Um, but it, it is a worthy thing because Isaiah says it, uh, you know, that there's the scripture in Isaiah forty twenty six, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. And then Psalm 19, one of our favorite verses, the heavens declare the glory of God. And then here in Colossians chapter three, Paul says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So I think God gives us the heavens, um, uh, and I think, Wayne, I think it would be safe to say that God created the universe to be looked at, to be explored. Um, he yeah. wants us to look up. I mean, he could have just kept the the night sky black and uh, the day sky blue and didn't didn't have to put anything interesting in it. <laughs> but because it's <laughs> yeah, people would say, "Why do you want to look up there?" For? Exactly. And but even even today, with all the cool stuff that's up there, people are still saying. It's just a bunch of lights in the sky, you know. It's it's nothing. It's, we can't even see it with light pollution. But God created it to be explored and to be known, and so it's good to set our mind on things for a little bit and and look up and and consider the cosmos in light of who God is. So when we think about these wild worlds, uh, you know, maybe we'll you'll be inspired to to think again about how fantastic and different and wonderful and creative God is. So those are my verses. What do you have, Mister Spencer? Yeah, so I, uh, as a Christian, um, I often have trouble believing some of the theories that scientists come up with on the origin of these planets. Uh, and that's one of the things that we can talk about in this, Lord, uh, Dan, about what, what would the Lord do and 
how does creation relate to this? But um, as far as the experimental part, the, the experimental part of finding exoplanets is good scientific work, and I'm I'm all for uh, the the whole experimental side of this. Of course, there's good there's good evidence for these extra, extrasolar planets around other stars. Yeah, and there, there's lots and lots of them. There's probably more, as many or more planets in our galaxy as there are stars in our galaxy. Mm. That's a lot. Because if you think maybe one every star has a couple of planets. Some you know. do. Some apparently don't have any, and but some have multiple. So right. it probably averages out to be a little more than the number of stars. Would be my guess. Right. If you're thinking from a naturalistic perspective, Wayne, and we've we've had a couple episodes on this before too, as you know. But if you think about the universe from a naturalistic perspective, that that means that God has nothing to do with it, and here life is on this planet. And by deductive logic or inductive logic, I get those confused. I don't know if it's deductive or inductive. Um, we just assume that if there was a natural selection bingo card filled here on Earth, then there must be another exo world out there somewhere in the multiplicity of planets that uh, that would harbor life similar to ours or something like that. That's That's the reasoning. That's how it goes. And I think you said it earlier. Why are we on the hunt for these things? We want to find what? Earth-like planets, and you and I have both had uh, discussions about the somewhat deceptive terminology that Earth-like is. Um, and usually, in, when they're hunting for extra planets, exoplanets, Wayne, Earth-like means just a couple of things, just kind of close to the star, the way we are close to our star uh, in the habitable habitable. Oh my gosh, here I go with that word again. Habitable zone is that yeah. right? I remember I get the habitable zone. Yes, so and it's mostly about the size of it and the size and where yeah, it is and where it um, is, how far from the star. Everything else, there's so much more to Earth in terms of its atmosphere, its elemental contents, uh, the air, the water, the plate tectonics, um, those kinds of things. Our tilt. There's so many other factors that go into Earth. Um, yeah, and I think that uh, the more we learn about planets around other stars, the more it underscores how special our own planet is and our own solar system is. Right, right. And, and that that that's really what brings me to the scripture I was going to read, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Please let me don't let me not interrupt. <laughs> Get off on another <laughs> tangent before you do that. So this this is a verse that I always think of about extrasolar planets. Isaiah forty five eighteen and nineteen says, "For this is what the Lord says: He who created the heavens, He is God. He who fashioned and made the earth, He founded it. He did not create it to be empty, but but formed it to be inhabited. He says, I am the Lord, and there is no other." I have not spoken in secret from somewhere in a land of darkness. I have not said to Jacob's descendants, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I mean, it's uh, clear that he made this world to be inhabited and... um, it seems, and we've talked about this before too, 
it seems like you just said the more we look at these other extrasolar systems, extra, extra exoplanets, uh, the more it it just seems to be. At first, before we were looking at other planets since the 90s, we just kind of assumed uh, that our solar system was the standard fare. Here's how the stars form. Here's how the planets form. Rocky planets form closer to the sun. Gaseous giants form way out on the peripheral. Well, that's what we have in our solar system. This is how it happens. And lo and behold, we're finding things that are completely inverted from our own system. We have gas giants close in, rocky planets far out, um, just all kinds of weird worlds that are, I mean, you know, to me, I mean, I don't think our solar system is normative. I mean, what is Uranus? I mean, this thing is on its edge. It rolls the other way. Its north pole is pointed right at the sun. It just seems to be having fun out there on its own. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <That's right. laughs> it's it's so unique. It's just it's just you know, there's there's so many unique personalities if you want to call it that um, in our in our own solar yeah. system. But uh, so you just think about the weirdness of Uranus or the mag- magnificence of Saturn's rings or Jupiter's stripes or uh, Venus's hot crushing atmosphere or uh, Mercury zipping around close to the sun. We've got a nice little neighborhood here that uh, that uh, God has used to take care of us. So let's uh, let's dive into uh, to one of these worlds. And since you mentioned Tess, uh, I thought it, we could start there uh, with this fantastic. Now I watched a video of this, and I'll see if I, I hope I can remember to link this video that I watched. It's nothing fancy; it's an artist's rendition, but it, it shows the system. And we're going to be talking about a whole system of exoplanets around this star. It shows what they call, is it Laplace or Lagrange resonance? What do they call it? Is it... Uh, 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 Laplace. Laplace. So it's uh, Pierre-Simon Laplace, Laplace, the French mathematician. And uh, basically, we'll get into this, but uh, this video shows how um, these these planets are orbiting, and every so often, every period, every, you know, couple of, certain period... Two of them will line up, and then three of them will line up, and there's all kinds of wonderful alignments in there. And what, uh, I think it was NASA, whoever produced the video, every time the planets aligned in the illustration, according to the model and the data that we have, they put in um, a musical tone. And it was really cool because as as it was synced up, it made a little song. And it was just from the tones that were created when the planets lined up. And I thought that was brilliant. But this is fascinating, Wayne. Let's let's dive into the to the test thing. What's what's going on there? I mean, if if we saw this, if we saw, I mean, it just seems, I don't know. To me, it just seems like a hallmark of intelligence that this there's a system out there that does right. This, this doesn't look like an an accident, right? And uh, I I was so fascinated with this. Uh, one article called it "Dance of Harmony in Intriguing TOI one seventy eight Multiplanetary System." We should call it what the well, you should name it so people can look it up if they want to. Say that again. What's the what's the name uh, of the system? T O I one seventy eight. Let me explain the let me explain the number a little bit. Now when we talked about Kep, the Kepler spacecraft, so Kepler was doing transit measurements and the test space spacecraft is also doing transit transit measurements. But um when the Kepler first discovered one, they would call it K-O-I and then a number and then that is just like a temporary number until it is confirmed by other research teams 
So you always want a exoplanet to be confirmed by multiple researchers. And uh, so when it becomes confirmed, then they change the number. And I suppose they would use TESS-178 or something when it becomes confirmed. So this is an unconfirmed one that's pretty recent, uh, recently discovered. And that's why it uses TOI. It mean, the OI means object of interest, TESS object of interest, 178. But this has six exoplanets. And they are all in... Um, it's sort of, um, it's kind of like an interlocked resonance. Now, um, the the resonance, I think, is shown best by the orbital periods. And there's their orbital periods, the time for the orbit of each planet, turn out to be in um, uh, integer ratios of each other. If you took the t the, the time for the orbital period and put one divided by the other. So um, some of them are related with a two to one resonance, some by the three to two resonance. So like uh, the inner one may orbit once while the outer one orbits twice and they come back around on the same side of the planet together. And, and so it's a special timing relationship they have with all these all these orbits, but the extraordinary thing is all six of them are sort of interlocked together by this motion. And, it, and scientists call it a mean motion resonances. Uh, and that what that term means is kind of technical. But anyway, the easiest way to, to see it, I think, is the way the orbital periods relate to each other. And so there's six planets. Um, two of them are earth-like or it made of earth stuff kind of rocky and then uh the the remaining four are sort of gaseous like uh, neptune and jupiter and yes. stuff like that um and it's kind of technical how they found these i mean it's not like they trained a telescope on them and they watched the planets go around them and all that stuff but they used uh Space telescopes, they used uh, ground-based, two ground-based uh, telescopes and a space telescope. And uh, over time found these six planets and um, then built a model based on the data that they found. And uh, if all is, <laughs> one of the uh, uh, authors used, uh, was uh, conducting radial velocity observations with Espresso. He wasn't. He might have been drinking espresso, but espresso <laughs> is some kind of. Uh, yeah, that's a some that's kind a of software. It's a software program. Yeah, and um, and so he was doing some calculations. So that the resonance that we're talking about is a model. It's not like we have a an overarching picture of this thing. But um, after they've calculated everything, um, Wayne, I think the bottom line is as complicated as these measurements are. What 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 is remarkable here, and this is what we've talked about in many times in many different ways, that mathematics, our little mathematical language here on this pale blue dot, is relevant to these six worlds far, far away removed from us. Now, you would have to scratch yes. your head and wonder and go, why would our math be able to pick out our, our satellites or telescopes and the, 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 the espresso software, 
all of this, pardon the expression, resonates with a distant <laughs> solar system. Uh, it really now, works, though, Dan. It's, it's really like... It really does work. <laughs> we're really applying Kepler's laws to uh, a, a, an extrasolar planet system, another solar system outside of our solar system. But it, what happens is you you observe these planets over a period of years, and so you see mm-hmm. this kind of complicated variation in how they vary in the sky in their position, and then you you have to. Uh, it's like one wave on top of another wave. They they end up kind of a a, a complicated waveform of their position and. Uh, you you apply mathematics to that to say, okay, if there's a if this planet if the second planet has this mass and the third planet has this mass, how does that fit the the observation? So they they get the computer to go through different scenarios until they find uh, a scenario that works that fits all the motions of all these planets. And they mm-hmm, had to, mm-hmm. but it's, it's extraordinary that they're all kind of linked together. It's like a synchronized motion that they have with each other. Yeah, it's amazing. All six of them. The funny thing is, Wayne, and you know this as well as I do, uh, when you're talking about exoplanets and, uh, you, you know, the, the Drake equation was compiled several years ago um, by an astronomer who was trying to figure out, you know, where where the aliens are what are the possibilities of alien life and according to the calculation when it was done uh there should be hundreds of thousands if not millions of um advanced life civilization planets somewhere in our milky way galaxy but uh as enrico fermi asked in uh he was a famous uh physics professor chicago he said well where are they <laughs> and people have been trying to answer fermi's question for forever but but here's the again this just gets back to the idea that when we're looking for alien life, I know Carl Sagan and a couple other people would say, like, if we heard signals that were spitting out prime number sequences, that would be evidence of intelligence. Okay. Well, here's a planetary system that's spitting out harmony mathematical resonances. Like, forget prime numbers. <laughs> you have objects in perfect symmetrical rational ratio mathematical harmony going around a sun and you're saying that was just an accident of planetary dust and gas collisions and explosions right you you know the the whole explosions cause the motion and collisions cause the motion you have this perfectly synced motion of these planets in in this wonderfully artistic and unique way and it's all supposedly no sign of intelligence no sign of 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 god how come the mathematics works wayne you, we have to just marvel at this well i think the challenge dan is how can they get this way yeah that, i mean without without god you have and i'm not saying god of the gaps because there's still you could still come up with some kind of physical scenario i guess but but ultimately you have what i think secular astronomy and, and science with all due respect to the wonderful research that it does has no explanation for why the design and the beauty that exists and this this pardon me this mathematical harmony is beautiful i mean it's it's beauteous it's exciting it's it's fantastic it's it's a discovery it makes people want to do science 
But sadly, science doesn't have any explanation for why we have see these patterns and this beauty in, in nature in the cosmos. It's, yeah. So I could go into some scientific explanation for how scientists would usually explain something like a planet resonance. But, Dan, that is normally something that would might happen with two planets in a system. Right. But but for it to happen to with six It's mind blowing. That is mind blowing. And uh now there's most extrasolar planet systems only are known to have one or two planets. And uh but there are some that have four or more. I think the most I've ever heard of is eight in one system. Wow. Uh um, but you don't hear of this resonance among all of them. No, not among all of them like this. Right. This is really, really unusual. Maybe two every once in a while, yeah. locked somehow, tidally or whatever. So, but. See, for example, they might say that because they believe that the orbits of these planets might migrate early on when after they form. So mm-hmm. they might say that as if they are migrating in, they have they may have a tendency to kind of pull each other into a residence mm. but but the the migration is a temporary thing that would stop and then they're there they are where they are <laughs> mm. for for it to do that for six planets would be unlikely yeah i mean it, it's it's uh never mind prime numbers coming through a radio signal here's a dance of six planets that seem to be mathematically related and connected so yeah so i think uh creation makes more sense absolutely uh, it is a than, hallmark than of, just gravity doing this uh yeah i mean gravity doesn't care if it's aesthetically pleasing gravity doesn't care if it's mathematically resonant <laughs> gravity's not trying right. to achieve that but what i think you're that's right what, what i think you're seeing here wayne it's like uh like with jehovah's witnesses they think that uh, um that the holy spirit is a force but but you can't lie to a force, right? And gravity is a force, but but gravity by itself isn't isn't an artist. In other in other words, in order to explain gravity, just isn't. It's like saying gravity. You could say gravity is responsible for Vincent Van Gogh's Starry Night. I mean, technically, yes. If there was no gravity, <laughs> he'd yeah. be floating out of his chair. It'd be hard to keep the paintbrushes and the paint, uh, you know, on the table or whatever. So yeah, gravity is kind of responsible for for that. But this is kind of what we're saying here that that gravity by itself just does not explain the aesthetic wonder and awe and beauty that uh, that that is intrinsically part of the cosmos. And I was just reading in Romans today. I, was, I wrote an essay for my blog about. Um, you know, God's invisible attributes being clearly seen through what is made. So here we have mathematical resonance, which is a kind of beauty. I mean, and, and there's an atheist, Peter Atkins, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, Bertrand Russell, atheist 100 years ago. They both thought that math, math is beautiful, you know, that, that, that like the Coulomb's Law. I think I'm pronouncing that wrong, but Coulomb. Uh, cool, Coulomb. Coulomb. The Coulomb's law, which is, says that you know an electric charge, uh, as it as it uh, uh, two electric charges as they are distant from one another, if help me if I'm getting this wrong, uh, as they increase in distance from one another, their strength diminishes uh, by the square root of the distance. 
Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And so that that's just a – what kind of precision is that? Well, I'm getting, how do you have that exact uh, – that, that exact uh, um, resonance there? I mean, this, this is happenstance? No. I mean, it, it's just mathematical elegance is what it is. So, well, you know, we can – we can describe the mathematics that makes things orderly and predictable like this, but we can't actually, with science, you can't answer the question, why is it this way? Right, right, right. And, uh, and you know, the other thing is that the universe, obviously, too, doesn't have, if, if, the, if you're looking at the universe from a purely naturalistic perspective, the universe doesn't have any intent to, to make mathematical resonance or there's there's no intention there's no purpose there's no teleology in a naturalistic cosmos so when you when you look at the sun and you say something like well the sun's has the sun's purpose is to give light and life and and uh to 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 tell us for days and times and seasons no no all that's an illusion under naturalism you you can't say the sun has a purpose in naturalism you can't say the moon has a purpose in naturalism you can't say that this test system has a purpose um, but but what what do we know as as Christians that that the purpose of the universe is to declare the glory of God and to show us who God is and who is invisible what his invisible attributes are like what they are his power his eternal power and glory all of these are are, are manifest in the things that he's made um, right fascinating stuff I will put a link to the YouTube video that I watched about this resonance and you can watch the show it's a it's an artist renditioning of the data with some musical notes. It's really cool. And um, if, if I don't put it in the notes and you catch this, <laughs> email me <laughs> and I will, uh, I, will, I will send it to you. But uh, um, a fascinating thing. Um, Wayne, let's go on to um, uh, the, the wobbly planet. Kepler planet finds a very wobbly planet this was yeah kepler 413 b oh this, i should explain the letters and the yeah names. we'll do that this was discovered uh well this post that you sent me from the hubble's site uh was in 2014 so this was discovered about nine years ago i'm taking it uh something like that yeah so what's up with this why did you why did this make our List of wonderful um, exoplanets. When you when you see these referred to, uh, so this is Kepler four thirteen. Now that's that's a reference to the star Kepler four thirteen itself. That's actually a star number, but the, it means that it's um, the four hundred thirteenth uh, object detected by Kepler, and the, the, the it has a little b. After it, the lowercase b is reference to a planet. If you see a capital B or a capital A after it, that would mean a star. A capital letters are used to reference a star, but the lowercase letters are used to reference planets in the order that they find them. So they, the first exoplanet found around a star would always be used letter B. They don't use this little letter A. And then the next one they find would have a lowercase c, and so on. Now this one, uh, the interesting thing is to re hear what they said when they were observing this. Okay, this is uh, the scientists who were finding this. These, they said what we see in the Kepler data over fifteen hundred days is three transits in the first hundred eighty days. 
one transit every 66 days. So it seemed very regular, right? Then we had 800 days with no transits at all. Wow, that's like a uh, it's like you're waiting for a bus. You're going to be disappointed. Uh, yeah, what happened to it? <laughs> what happened right. to the planet? Did something the, the bus it? got wrecked or something there? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Now this is uh this comes from a man named uh, it says explained Vessel and Kostov, the principal investigator on the observation. Kostov is affiliated with the Space Telescope Science Institute and the Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore, Maryland. After that, we saw five more transits in a row. So they saw the transits very predictably like you would expect for 1,500 days. Every 66 days it happened. Then there was 800 days with no transits at all. And it seemed like something happened to them. And then it comes back after 800 days. So... Why why would it uh, stop for so long a period like that? Well, it's because um, the planet is orbiting a binary star, and the the planet's orbit is not too different from the the plane of the or- motion of the two stars. Okay, so okay, so hold on a second. Let me let me clarify this. This is fascinating. This this planet, this is like Star Wars and Tatooine. This is what we're looking at, right? This is so uh, yeah, kind of like that. So Luke Skywalker is out in uh, Tatooine in, in the desert with his uncle and aunt, and he's wistfully looking at the sunsets, the two suns. So if 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 Luke was out on four thirteen B, um, somewhere between that eight hundred year missing transit, he would be staring out at these. Stuff. So so literally, if you're on this planet you would have a double sunset, probably, maybe, right? Uh, well, yes, but what hmm, – that's an interesting thing about – what it would be like is uh, the size of these planet of these stars in the sky would be changing pretty rapidly. Okay. So uh, there, there's two stars. One is – it's called an orange dwarf, and one of them is called a red dwarf. Okay, and uh, and please uh, plug for our dwarf dwarf planet uh, episode a couple of uh, oh last, yes last month. We had, yeah, yeah we had fun with the dwarf planet program. So if you weren't if you weren't confused that there are dwarf planets, there are also dwarf stars, <laughs> right? <laughs> yes. So, so a very common uh, a common thing in in the heavens is uh, is, is dwarfs, um, not dwarves. But dwarfs. Anyway, um, so a orange dwarf and a red dwarf. Uh, we are in uh, cosmic Disneyland here, Wayne. This is that's this is, right. This is so what happens is when the uh, let's see. So when one pl- one of the stars is closer to the planet, the planet is in one position, and when the other star is closer to the planet. Uh, the planet is in a different position. So it's it's like um, the orbit of the planet looks like it's flexing up and down. It sort of oscillates. Uh, the tilt of the orbit changes and oscillates up and down. Thus the wobbliness of it, right? Yes. So because the, the stars uh, are relatively close, you know, a dwarf, when you have dwarf stars... The planets tend to be closer to them, 
But in this case, it's not like the planet is right up next to him, but it's not too far away. So as the as the stars change position, the planet's orbit will sort of change a little bit. Okay. So um, this planet's kind of tight in simply because two stars would create a, a pretty big pocket of gravity. If we're thinking of like warping space-time, you have some mass of two stars which would probably draw the planet in a little tighter, right? Is that kind of the thing? Well, it's more like the the two stars are tugging the planet, um, you know, in two different ways, right? They're they're tugging the planet two different ways. And so as the stars change position, the planet changes position. So it's like a a mom and dad at the park with toddler and uh, mom's swinging the toddler around. Dad swinging the toddler around, <laughs> changes positions. Does, does this uh, does this uh, does this planet do a? Well, fig- if you could imagine a wobbly merry-go-round, that was that. Yeah, that would be good. Um, <laughs> and somebody is making the merry-go-round wobble. wobble while they're right, riding it. Does this thing kind of? I'm trying to picture this. Does, it, does this do a, a figure eight? Does it loop through and between the, the stars? No, it just goes no. around both of them goes around both of them okay all right so it's uh so the planet's orbit is tilted about two and a half degrees compared to the the plane of the two stars okay which is it's just not very much but it's the fact that it's not too far away from the stars now compare that to our system in our solar system our sun is tilted seven degrees yeah the north pole Com- is pointed- compared to the plane of the planets Yes, which is fascinating. However, our star is bigger, and so that means Earth is out farther away. So our Earth is not going to do this. You know, our, our sun's angle of spin is stays the same, and it there's only one star. So we wouldn't be affected like this, right? But if you did live on Kepler four thirteen b, here's the uh, here's the uh, weather forecast for from the Hubble site if you plan to travel to 413b and you're you want to pack uh for for weather um it's saying uh, that imagine living on a planet with seasons so unpredictable you would hardly know what to wear bermuda shorts or a heavy raincoat that's the situation on a weird weird world found by nasa's planet planet hunting kepler space telescope this is back in 2014 the planet designated 413b is 2,300 light years away in the constellation of Cygnus, uh, the swan. It circles a close pair of orange and red dwarf stars, as you said, every 66 days. Um, but this wobbliness, see, with our, we're so, take it for granted with our seasons. We're in the summer now here in the northern hemisphere. For those three listeners down in the southern hemisphere who are having winter, it's 107 degrees in Texas this week, just to let you know. Uh, Wednesday's forecast from NBC says it's going to be 107. But we can predict the seasons uh, because of the tilt of the Earth's axis to and away from the sun. So right now, um, the northern hemisphere is tilted toward the sun, our summer, which means the southern hemisphere is tilted away from the sun, which is uh, the southern hemisphere's winter. And uh, so, But on this wobbly planet, you don't have this constant regular season you would it just wobbles it's so it's just a bizarre it's a good place good good to be thankful that we don't live there it's uh it, <laughs> it would be fun for a day or two maybe if you could survive it was if it was habitable 
Uh, well, but, uh, yeah, we we think the weather, we talk about how fast the weather changes in Texas. It'd be even more crazy there. Oh, yeah. One minute it's raining, the next minute it's sunny. And maybe it, uh, and who knows what the weather would be like out there anyway. So be thankful that the uh, weather here on Earth is stable. And uh, thanks to the axis of our of our Earth and the distance from our sun, we have seasons. And uh, on this place, you'd have seasons every five minutes. <laughs> Seasonal changes on uh, 413 Test B. So um, yes, but uh, this this exoplanet would not be habitable because it's no uh, too close to the stars. It'd, it'd be, be roasty, warm, toasty, too hot. Yeah, yeah. It'd be, no matter what time of year, it would be it would be too hot. Yeah, um, but we'll link this uh, info on this uh, fantastic wobbly uh, uh, Star Wars Tatooine uh, binary star uh, information that you can uh, look up and peruse at your leisure. And, uh, Wayne, we are going to come back uh, next week and talk more about my two favorite exoplanets that you picked, one that makes Saturn's rings look like a child's jewelry and another one that uh, may have been the home planet for Darth Vader or who knows. It's just too <laughs> Yeah, the ultimate dark planet. The two of the wildest worlds I have seen. In, in all my looking at astronomy, these are fantastic, and we're going to be talking about those next time, right here on Good Heavens. Good Heavens. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org.